Hello, hello. Look who the cat dragged in. Oh, pet chat, pet chat pun. I've found Daniel Carrington. Hello. I'm here. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just no. wanted to make an animal pun. I know. You know? I loved it. It's it great. so good to see you. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm enjoying being here. I think last time, yeah, it was a month ago that I was here. Mm, yeah, yes. I probably wasn't and here. I can't remember. Yeah, that's right. So it's been a little while. <laughs> Now, look, what are we chatting about today? We're getting on one of our favourites of the Pet Chat family, Julie Tolliday. That's right. And we're going to talk about how COVID is affecting our dogs. Is it making them a little naughty? Oh, well, we'll find out. Are we allowed to use that word now? <laughs> naughty? Not ideal behaviour. That's right. <laughs> We've got Julie on, on speakerphone. It's Pet Chat, by the way. And I'm saying to you, Danny, oh, you can take your mask off now. You're about to talk. Julie's on the other end going, I don't have a mask on. It's all very confusing. But we're here. We've done it. We've got Julie Tolliday and we're here to talk about our animals. We are. And th- thank God we don't have to look at you through a Zoom or a video, Julie. You might be in your pyjamas working from home. Yes. <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> now, Julie, Denny was saying before, Today we're going to talk to you about how our um, animals have coped and some of the behavioural changes uh, with what's been going on, I guess, with us locking down, not locking down, being home, not being home, because there's lots that's been happening that's different. Yeah, and it's it's worldwide because I follow people in America, like trainers and behaviourists, it's the same thing. So behaviourists are being flooded with people with dogs that have developed these issues. There's two main areas, puppies. Puppies who couldn't get out during the vital socialisation period when they would normally go to puppy school and stuff. And the other is um, adult dogs that have had their humans at home all the time and now they're Mm. having to adapt maybe to the humans going back to work. This is a good topic. Um, Mm. I like this topic because I'm hearing some of these things as well. So, Julie, what would you recommend, first of all, for the puppy situation? Well, look, I suppose I, I thought of this topic because I thought if we're about to go back into some form of lockdown again... Oh, stop saying that, Julie. Stop it. <laughs> I know. I don't want to think about it. But um, the best thing I heard for puppies, the best, and it doesn't even have to be a pandemic, when they're not vaccinated enough, take them in the car because that's your little um, safe bubble and take them to places where you can wind the windows down and they can hear stuff mm. and see stuff and smell stuff, and while you're doing this new exposure for the puppy, give them tasty treats to say to them, look, there's, a, there's somebody in a wheelchair, don't worry, have a treat. There's, there's somebody rolling around on the grass and screaming, don't worry, have a treat. So, yeah, okay, that's a clever way of, you know, exposing them to outside surroundings without, um, you know, putting yourself in harm's way at the moment. Absolutely. And, you know, I'd like to say I invented that, but it came from a wonderful trainer in America. Her YouTube channel is called Kiko Pup, K-I-K-O Pup. And she, her topic um, in a video is desensitise your puppy during the pandemic. But actually, for me, it's all the time. When you watch her video on desensitising during the pandemic, it's for all the time with puppies. And it is important with pups because there is that uh, small window of period where they can absorb all this and take it on a lot easier and faster before they get older, before they're 18 weeks old. Absolutely right. And and what's happened is those puppies who've been locked away, I've seen some that are so, so, so scared. Some of them have needed medication because their anxiety is so high now that they're on the ground 
walking in a world that they didn't learn about when they were babies. Hmm. We'll have to call them ISO pups because there's ISO babies. My brother's Hmm. little bub, Henna, she was an ISO baby and it took her months to get used to anyone Hmm. other than her parents because, you know, they didn't see anyone for so long. Well, that's very interesting because my brother's two-and-a-half-year-old was out here from California recently and she was very, very hesitant mixing with new people. So we're calling them COVID puppies, not that they've got COVID. Um, and then the other, the other group is the adult dogs. A lot of them were rescued from pounds, and I'm going to tell you something really awful. So a lot of those dogs that were rescued from pounds, now people have gone back to work and the dogs have got separation issues and they're destroying things. They've been sent back to the pounds. Oh, that's so sad. So, you know, there were none in the pounds during COVID because everybody wanted one. And, oh, whoops, a lot of them have ended up back on the doorstep. And what's happened is the, the way that... The main thing is the separation. They've been with the humans all the time, and then humans go, oh, sorry, I've got something called a job, and I've got to go to that now. The best thing for dogs that have got this risk is that while you're at home with them, you put them in a slightly separate area behind a baby gate. Um, We don't want them to fret, but we want them to get used to the fact that you're going to move around and they're not. You're going to go out of sight. You're going to come back into sight. Um, so that they learn that they don't need to always see you. They don't have to be a Velcro dog. That's what we call them. I like that idea. So, yeah, people normally get used to having the dog right there at their feet yes. or by their side, but you're saying put a, a baby gate somewhere yep. so that the yep. dog can see you're in that room, there's no need to fret, and I still have access to the other parts of the house. Yeah. Now, if the dog's, like, really struggling with that because it's so foreign to them, a really good strategy is to put a bit of, like, cheese paste or peanut butter in a Kong. So if you're in sight, you might be sitting near the baby gate and you're in sight. But when you step up to go away, put the Kong, the delicious, yummy, pasty Kong in there, go out of sight, come back, pick up the Kong and sit down again so that the dog learns, oh, when you go away, I'll get something really nice. Mm. I want the dog to start saying, would you like to go to the shops now and just leave me one of those Kongs? Yeah, and then extend your your trips away. Absolutely, yes. Uh, One last thing very quickly, Julie. If if lockdown does happen, what's your suggestion to prospective pet owners? Well, to teach the dog to cope with separation. Yep. um, By, you know, teaching the dog to settle on their own. Look, crates are wonderful things. Mm. You know, if they're introduced slowly and carefully enough it's a little safe space for the dog and it's quite okay to put your dog in the crate even while you're at home and move around that's like your baby gate idea um and you know if there's and i you know even if it was an older dog i would still go okay we're allowed to get in our cars and drive somewhere we're not going to get out but think of places like the the you know the edge of the beach where they can hear the waves crashing or take them for a little walk yeah yeah, do do some light exercise Yes, oh, absolutely. Just try to, to, to don't let them become Velcro dogs and, and scaredy dogs at home. Well, Julie, it's always wonderful speaking to you. I know you can't. This is such a huge topic, but oh, I just just want to know, our biggest call at the moment on Pet Chat would be dogs that um, are barking during the day when the owners are away. So, you know, I guess some have anxiety um, issues. I guess there's a multitude absolutely. of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. If it's an older dog, just is... Is there hope? Can they change that behaviour or is it too late? Yeah, well, I think that if that barking can be for lots of reasons, but if that barking is because you've gone away and left me, 
then it is getting the, the dog used to the fact that you're not always there. Um, also, Kongs that are, so, you know, the rubber Kong, not the wobbly one, but the rubber yep. one that you can stuff food into. Don't fill it with peanut butter. Your dog will never be able to get its tongue off the roof of its mouth. But if you... But put, you can change the behaviour. So it's not all hope is lost. Oh, no. I okay. Say to people, what, you're going to live like this till the dog passes? Yeah. Like, you know, it's about teaching the dog to be settled, content. A frozen Kong is what I was about to say. Like even some sort of, even a proper a diet food, you know, even mm. some raw natural food, smack it into the Kong, freeze it, and then your dog is going to be very busy licking a frozen meal out of a Kong. Well, thank you so much, Julie Tolliday. Always a pleasure speaking to her. Daniel, thank you for coming You're in. You're welcome. Always a pleasure seeing you. Uh, we do have a lot of questions coming through on Pet Chat. Dr. Paul in the studio, and I know that the phones have been going crazy. So let's go straight to uh, jo- uh, Jenny, I believe. Hello, Jenny. Sorry that you've uh, been waiting, but we've got the vet here That's now. Right. How can we help you today? Uh, my daughter's cat. He's... Um he started licking himself so much that he's pulling his fur off. Mm-hmm. And, well, he, he started this a couple of months ago and he's just got the last, last week he came up with um, his whole chest bare, so bare that he'd drawn blood. Now he's got this great big bear patch on his chest with, that's scabbing over now. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so, we I, don't know I, whether he's neurotic or there's something else wrong. No, I, I, well, certainly you can get um, self-trauma associated with behavioural disorders. So um, yes. it's called it as a splacement behaviour. Cats will often groom excessively if they are very nervous and that, that can get to the stage where they will draw blood. But I guess the first thing is to work out whether this is a behavioural disorder or whether this is a physical disorder. And, um, and certainly allergies um, in the skin can initially cause cats to become irritated and they will lick. The cat's tongue is a very raspy organ. It's got lots of little spurs on it. And so enough licking will actually cause some trauma to the surface of the epidermis. And then okay. that becomes yeah. a vicious circle. The more they lick, the more it irritates. The more it irritates, the more they lick. So um, certainly this would be a really good opportunity to talk to your local vet about this scenario in that if it goes for too long, even though it may have started as an allergy, it may now become a behavioural disorder because the habit kicks in. So it sounds like it's been going for a few weeks now. So I I would jump on this pretty quickly in that you at least need some antibiotics by the sounds of things because the skin is broken. And so the risk of infection is certainly present, if not already there. And then we'd like to probably get to the, the bottom of what's actually causing it. So the ventral abdomen is a very common spot in the chest area for either food or contact allergies. And so yeah. having a chat to your vet about, about what food you're feeding, there are lots of low allergenic food types you can use as alternatives to, to sort of more allergenic foods. Um, and then the usual things like your flea controls, your parasite management, and then looking at other environmental allergens. Uh, indoor cats often can have house dust, house dust allergy. Um, and then there are the external okay. pathogens such as uh, pollens and grasses and things. Okay. Okay. All right. So yeah. it's a trip to the vet then. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and in the interim, if you do have an e-collar, um, sorry, Elizabethan collar, or a way to try and prevent the cat from reaching the site, it will try and break that cycle a little bit so that the self-trauma doesn't continue until you can get in to see your vet. We do have a collar on him at the moment. He's a very sad little cat at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, Must be so it uncomfortable. 
Yeah, it doesn't stop him getting to his um, back where he's also been doing it. But the chest is the bad area that's actually uh, so broken the, the skin. If, if, the, if the back's uh, involved, what flea management are you currently using? Uh, I think she puts the drops on his neck every so often. Yeah, so definitely re, re, recheck when that last dose was given because cats chewing it, particularly at the tail base um, and the lower back, are very, very commonly affected by fleas. So okay. f- flea bite allergy really affects the base of the tail and that lower lumbar region. Would would that cause little? Would the fleas cause actual little lumps on him, like, like bites? Uh, not not usually. The bite that the lumps you normally see from flea bites are generally where there's been enough trauma that you've got a dermatitis starting. The, oh, okay. you, you don't actually generally get lumps associated with a flea bite. We do in that we often get a, a, a histamine response, so it actually irritates our skin, um, mainly because we're not a preferred host for the flea. But because yeah. the cat flea is designed to live on the flea, um, it would be sort of counterintuitive for the flea to create so much trauma that the cat tried to get rid of it. So they actually often don't show any signs associated with that until they become allergic to the flea saliva and then the, okay. aller- then, then the allergy kicks in. So how do we find out that? It's blood tests or something, isn't it? Or? To check for allergies, you can do what's mm-hmm. called intradermal skin testing where a dermatologist can give injections of a small volume of allergen over the body and they measure yeah. the height and the diameter of the reaction. Um, for fleas, it's an even easier situation. You just get a flea comb, you pass it through the coat and you'll either find the flea themselves or you'll find the flea feces, which are little black sort of flecks in the coat. Okay. And then if you, right. if you actually even um, brush your cat over a bit of white paper and then you spray that white paper with some uh, spray water, um, the, red, the little black spots will become little red ink spots, which is the dried blood. So you can even do a test at home for fleas. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. Very good. good. Well, thank you so much for the call, Jenny. We, we very much appreciate it. Let's go to Michael now. Now, Michael, you've got a seven-and-a-half-year-old male cavoodle, but he's oh. getting up to a little bit of mischief. Yes, uh, from time to time, uh, he comes up from behind people and jumps up on them, mm-hmm. and nearly knocks them over. Yep. Now, we've been walking along the beach. We've had it happen to my partner at that time. Again, last night, we had a visitor come into the home, and he jumped up on them yep. from behind. So um, are there triggers for when the event occurs? No, not really, just out of the blue. Yeah, okay. So so this is an attention-seeking behaviour or it is an anxiety-based behaviour. In a seven-year-old dog, um, is this a situation that's only just started or has happened over the time period you've had the dog for? No, we've only noticed over the last 18 months, two years. Yeah, so, so something disappointingly has created an anxiety for your dog. And so the, the behaviour is, is twofold. They often choose behind the person uh, because they're nervous about coming to the front and so it's safer to try and get that attention by knocking someone from behind. Um, or it can be a situation where something has made the animal so scared that they now have no other option but to try and alert the rest of the tribe that there's a problem here and we need to act on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is less about game involvement and more likely to be do with an anxiety condition. So what I would suggest you do is try, if these events are occurring, look for where the trigger event might be. So when, when that does happen to you or to your partner or to whoever it comes, it comes it'll, it'll often be strangers because strangers often worry a dog 
And so they will jump on the back of a stranger to say, I, I don't really want you here, please move along. But if it's social group that they're jumping on, then they're looking for reassurance. And so you'd be looking for what may have caused the trigger for the anxiety to occur. In a, in a dog that's getting these sorts of signs, as an older dog, it means that something's been brewing for a while and now they can't, they don't have a coping strategy that allows them to sort of self-soothe, so to speak, or self-calm. And so what happens is that they then sort of break out, they, they reach threshold and they can't handle the anxiety anymore. And so they physically have to then sort of manifest that behaviour as either a jump up or a, uh, a bark or a growl. Uh, think, think of this as a way of him alerting to you that there's danger around you. Okay, that's an unusual way of looking at it. Yeah, so, so generally this is not a, a game-inducing behaviour if it hasn't been present all their life. So, so dogs who play games, who sort of jumping up games, they're generally there from a puppy. Um, yeah. and, and so they're, they're what that dog has learnt as their, as what makes them feel good. They, they jump, they might roll, they might chase, um, but that, that's what they do. But if it's commenced as an older dog and only in a short period of time, then there's a trigger. Um, so, so something has made the, the, the dog feel less comfortable, um, particularly if you're doing it in open environments. So if this occurs, I think you mentioned on, on, on the foreshore on a walk, um, it means something on that walk rattled this dog. So whether it be a different dog that made him nervous or a different person's body posture or purely the fact that there are lots of people around can be enough to trigger an anxiety response. It's so interesting how they, they tell us things and when we start to learn more about our animals and how to interpret it, that they are trying to tell us something. Oh, they're always trying to let us know. Um, we're, we're just Humans are fairly ordinary at picking up the clues. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. And um, what Julie Tolliday was saying before as well, uh, I guess with lots of changes happening in our routines, you know, since pretty much last year, that could unsettle animals as well because they think, hang on, you used to always leave at this time, now you're home, but now you're gone again and, you oh, know, sure. very confusing. Even the wearing of face masks. So remember, dogs are yeah, watching our, our, our face expressions. They're, they're watching how we look. Um, they're reading us like a newspaper. So, you know, where are your foreheads? Where are your eyes pointing? Where is your lips curving? And because they're the body postures, they're looking at another dog when they're getting their language yeah, information. Yeah, of course. So when we block off half our face of a mask, we're, we're taking away half the information the dog would normally be receiving. So lots of dogs are now slightly more vigilant when they're out and about because the masks are not allowing them to read the situation completely. Oh, there you go. Gail, you're in Newcastle and you've got a cavoodle that's one year old but doing some uh, different behaviour that you think Paul might be able to help you with. That's correct. <laughs> What's she up to? Well, the first thing is if I put her down at the front door, if I open up the front door, she'll stay sitting there. But if I take her out the front and put her down without a leash, she takes off up the street. Yeah. Um, I've had her since she was eight weeks old. And the other problem I have with her is that she doesn't like dog food. <laughs> she thinks she's human. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so certainly um, remembering how um, as a child when you would go somewhere different, um, like a supermarket or a shopping centre, how exciting yep. that great big world was. Yeah, so you've got a, a, a young puppy, so this is a, an adolescent dog who is being exposed to a really exciting place. Um, 
it normally sees the the rooms in your house and it normally has the same smells and and they all become a bit sort of ho-hum and the same same but then the doors open and I can see that there's this fantastic sort of um, whole cacophony of sounds and smells and, and, and wonderful, exciting things to see. And you've just got a really excited dog who wants to experience the world. So, right. so what you would do in these circumstances, ideally, is um, walk so frequently that the excitement, though is always still present, doesn't outweigh the ability to listen to you and your, your requests for her to do. So this right. is about having her have a lot more walks, a lot more time out in that front area so that, she yep. be, so that she becomes a, a little bit like the fact that being outside is the same as being inside. It's exciting, but it's not the really exciting thing that's happening now because it, she may not be seeing quite as much of that outside area as she would like. And so when she gets that opportunity, she's going to grab it with both hands and run with it, li- literally in this circumstance. Okay, yep, <laughs> got it. How often do you take her for a walk, Gail? Um, every day. And, and do you do that for a long period of time? And, and do, is it the same route each time? Uh, we do do the same route each time and it's usually for about half an hour. Yeah, try and mix it up a little bit. Take, take her some different directions, show her some different places so that we're keeping that mental stimulation that dogs enjoy um, and we're also letting her experience places that she then becomes used to rather than being something new to explore. They're places she's been to before. Um, and it'll just try and reduce some of that sort of mad keen anxiety to get out there and experience the world. Now, with regards to dogs who don't eat dog food, <laughs> we, we, often cre- we often create our own monsters in this scenario. Oh. So, 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 so dogs, dogs have taste buds um, and, and they learn what they like um, and they learn what they don't like. They learn what's fun to eat and what's fairly boring to eat. And so um, dogs like cavoodles who have that poodle into them and, and poodles by their nature are incredibly smart, intelligent dogs. Um, also often learn to play their owners pretty well. And so this could be a situation, Gail, where rather than won't eat the dog food is that I'd rather not eat the dog food because I know if I hang out long enough, something better comes. Um, And generally... Yeah, <laughs> I thought it might be the case. Yeah. So there, there are two ways to deal with this now. You can certainly start to transition the dog onto more dog food by mixing it in with what you're producing now as, as, as the meal. So each day you'd put a little bit less of what the home-cooked meal is and a little bit more of the dog food in. And then over a period of time, the, the sort of ratios are increasing dog food to human food. And so we're making that a nice, easy transition, a bit like getting children to eat their veggies. We just oh, put, we just put little bits out initially and then we put more and more as they become more, more accustomed to it. And what yeah. we don't do is give in and say, oh, look, I know you're not really liking that. Here you are. Have some of my food instead. It's a bit of controlled crying, tough love. Um, if you'd like it to be on the dry food or the dog food, she just needs to know that is the only option. Um, and often if we fold and we give in too soon, again, they, they, they know us very well. They, they often know if I wait 20 minutes, mum will give in. And so you might need to sort of be a bit tough on yourself and go, right, I'm going to watch this and write it out. But it's those puppy dog eyes, isn't it, Gail? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go to bed hungry. Or <laughs> I know, I know it's hard. Well, good luck with it. <laughs> Thank you.
<laughs> All right, let's go to Chris now. Uh, Chris is in Salamander Bay. Welcome, Chris. You've got a seven-month-old puppet, a toy poodle, Maltese Shih Tzu cross. Whoa, there's a lot going on there. So, so cute. Um, it, but using the living room as their toileting area. Yeah. That's right. I've got, you know, in our wing, as I call it, um, she takes herself outside all the time through the doggy door and has done ever since, you know, a couple of weeks from being home, you know, after eight weeks. But I haven't been able to train her to sort of take herself out when I'm in the living area. She mm. uses the living area the same as what she does for the outdoor area. Sure. So um, this is not an uncommon scenario, Chris, and it's a very common thing we see in often small breed dogs. Um, the, the, the outside world can be a little scary. And so when you're small, often you want to make sure that you're, you're, when, you're, when you are defecating and urinating that um, you can't really keep all of your vigilance up because you're, you're, you're busy doing your, you're doing your business. And so often dogs will choose places that they feel safer to do that in. And it, it could be that the living room at this stage is a, a safe spot and she's actually using this space instead of the outside um, because it just feels safe and secure. So the way to try and break this cycle is that you give her a lot more opportunities to go outside and you praise her enormously when she gets it right. So we take her back to being a puppy again, lots and lots of praise, lots and lots of good times, and you spend more time in your backyard. So it looks like the outside is just as safe as the inside. Okay, there you go. I can't believe it. It's gone far too quickly, but that is pet chat for the day. (laughs) Paul's head spinning. He's like, oh, my gosh, you know, there's so much more to do. We will be back next week, though, of course. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.